Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. That takes away the sins of the world. How many would like blood songs? Only a few of y'all, it's all good. It's a great reminder of our great Savior and our great need for him in our every, thank you, in our everyday lives. How many of you need him in your everyday life? Amen. If I had time, I'd say, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour. I need thee, but we won't have time, but we would just bust out into that joint. You, that spontaneous ministry where um, there was a desperate need for Jesus. I love the reality of all of us need to live in a constant state of God neediness, where our lives are, um, no matter how good life gets and no matter how challenging life gets, we need to remember that we need him in our highs just as much as we need him in our lows. Um, and if you live like that, your life may be all right. Why don't you stand to your feet? Um, we want to keep the Bailey family lifted up. Um, um, brother Centrin Bailey serves here. Um, he lost his brother, his second brother to gun violence. And so, um, and so um, we want to um, keep them lifted up in prayer. It's some sort of violence, I'm sorry. But um, he was killed. And so we want to keep that family lifted up, particularly his mother. Um, this is her second son that she's lost. And so um, we wanna um, keep that family as they are grieving, lifted up to the Lord in prayer, amen? Amen, amen, amen. Well, we start a new series today. We are in 1 Timothy chapter one, verses one through verse six. First Timothy, Chapter 1, verses 1 through verse 6. Um, 1, 
be able to approach the scriptures. We know uh, that in many times um, the scriptures and getting understanding for life and uh, just for our mind being changed and our intimacy with you being upgraded and our commitment in the world uh, uh, to, 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 to be strengthened, Lord God, we need a word from you. And so, God, I pray that you will let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that? Say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, glad to start a new series today um, through First and Second Timothy. Um, my wife and I, um, I don't know how many times during our marriage we have moved, um, but we've always moved with stuff we've had that we don't use. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it's just stuff you just never, but you feel like you still need to keep it. And so it just keeps somehow staying around. And then, then even though you haven't touched it in years, it still seems like an essential. You know, um, and, and, and so we, we've accumulated quite a bit over the years and created some clutter. We was like, man, we got to get this together. Some people helped us. We got, got rid of a bunch of stuff, and the house just felt different. You know, and I was like, the stuff that we got rid of, I still don't miss it, even though I didn't want to get rid of it, but it's gone now. And we, we, were, we, we realized that we were, we were, we were um, low-level hoarders. <laughs> you know, we want to go ahead and just call out our stuff. See, that's how you know you're getting healthy, when you can just call your stuff what it is, right? You know, you say, don't use that word. I wouldn't say I'm that. That means you're in denial, right? You understand what I'm saying? And so, and so, and so I was like, you know what? I, I think we, we got some hoarding issues, you know? And, and my wife agreed, and we, we got some ways to go, and we're excited. But, even, I mean, the house, I can't tell you, just it feels different. Our stove broke down, and then they, you know, the, the company gave us a new stove. You know, the appliance company, free joint is not. It just feel glistening in the kitchen. You know, I, I, you know, I love, the, the oven even got an air fryer on it. See, one of y'all going to understand what I'm, this is good preaching. You're going to understand that one day. A whole oven, air frying. Um... <laughs> But, but, but I think many times, just like my wife and I are and were with our home, I think the church has the same issue. Um, the church many times has a ton of hoarding issues. And there are things within the church that we're holding on to that needs to be let go. What makes a church unhealthy is it being in functional dysfunctional order? In other words, functional dysfunction is having dysfunction but finding a way to be functional even though there's unhealth present. And, and, so, and, so, and so, I mean, you've heard me say it before. I, I used to watch the show Hoarders, and when you, you know, I had to stop watching. It just made, you ever watch something, you just say, I don't need that today, you know, because of the way it makes you feel. But Hoarders, it show, I mean, the woman had a house, she had, about, she had to have about 20 cats. You know, plus clutter. You know, and so, I mean, the dude comes to the house, they open the door, and it was the smell of animal living, we'll say, <laughs> made its way into the, 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 the nostorial cortex of those on the outside. And she came to the door just chilling like everything was good. Like, she's like, hi, how y'all doing? Come in. And he's like, 
you don't smell that? Then they walked in and they could barely find a path and cats running all over this place. The, the kitchen looking crazy. The, the bathroom is not something you want to use there. But she was in the midst of that functioning as if nothing was going on. And you know you're unhealthy when you can live in the midst of un, unfunctional dysfunction and still find a way to function. When you can ignore how bad things are, you, you know you're in an unhealthy place. And I think that, I think that the, 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 this book of the Bible, the next two, I think is going to help us as a church. Because um, um, I, I'm pretty sure that we have blind spots as a church. And, 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 and one of the things that you'll see in the Pauline corpus and in the New Testament corpus is there is a progression towards order. If you look at 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and you look at what's called the pastoral epistles, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, they're, they're two totally different books. Groups of books, rather. I mean, I mean, First Corinthians is the richer church, but it's the craziest church. I mean, disorder everywhere. Everybody trying to. Can you imagine ten people trying to preach at the same time? I mean, you know that 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 was in one prophesying over here. Somebody speaking in tongues over here. No interpretation. This person discerning spirits. Somebody slain in the spirit back there. They trying to pass the offering and doing communion all at the same time. This disorder. And so Paul put in some micro order in the beginning of the church uh, uh, um, um, because most of their problems were order issues uh, that showed itself up in deep dysfunction and health. But now he comes over uh, to, uh, now, now he's matured over time. It's been years since Paul uh, has been teaching and, and preaching and being an apostle and starting churches, planting churches. And, and developing churches. And now, um, this is one of his churches from his earlier days in, uh, uh, as an apostle. And, and he made some things clear to them that was going to happen in Acts chapter 20 that is beginning to show its head now. And so now what he's beginning to do, not just for the church at Ephesus, because First and Second Timothy is written specifically to the church at Ephesus, which is in Macedonia, which Macedonia had the poorest churches. But what, what ended up happening here is Paul began wanting to make sure that not only before he died that this church had order, he wanted all the churches to have a significant level of order. And our churches today need constant order. Some of the things that are most um, are confusing about um, uh, um, what we're doing as churches is a lack of clarity on what the church is. <clears throat> what should the church be doing? You know, uh, it's funny to me um, um, that, that, that you, and this is no knock on other religions, but, um, you know, I mean, Muslims, Buddhists, all different types of groups get asked questions. Don't get asked the questions the church get asked. I mean, the church is supposed to do everything. I've never heard anybody say, what are Muslims doing for the community? We're the only ones that get asked that question, right? What are the Buddhists? What's the Christian scientists? What are, what, they got to just elaborate, just sit there. Nobody's in it. But we're the ones that do stuff for the community. So they are, and so, but, but that's indic, indicative, if you will, of expectations that are not only external of the church, but 
imagine all of the non-monolithic expectations that exist. We have three gatherings, different ethnicities, different generations. Can you just imagine the lack of, the, the, the lack of unanimity on what we all believe the church should be doing? How it should be structured? Who should be in leadership? Who not should be in leadership? Uh, uh, um, how, how we function as a church? What does missionality look like? What does discipleship look like? I believe, I'm hoping that this series helps us to really frame and get a level of unanimity on what we should be doing and what do we look like and what is the church. So <clears throat> we come here to this first section of the chapter, which is beautiful, and talking about having clear spiritual direction. And number one, I got three points today for my point, people. <laughs> I have three points <clears throat> Three things. Number one, <laughs> um, you have to have clear guidance. <clears throat> clear guidance. If you're going to have clear direction, you got to have clear guidance. Look at what Paul says in verses one and two. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. By the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, I love this, my true son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. <clears throat> those, that section of the chapter, those two verses are packed with enough to be a message. Um, <clears throat> but I want to zoom lens on a clause here. He says to Timothy, my true son in the faith. <clears throat> this is a phrase that I think gets lost in church because <laughs> churches need to have people who have Timothy dispositions. <laughs> um, <clears throat> see, a Timothy disposition is a different disposition because in Acts chapter, don't let me lose you today. You, you need to walk with me today. <clears throat> uh, um, um, Acts chapter 14, Paul and uh, Silas, after chapter 13, was set aside for a specific time of mission that would end in verse 25 of chapter, uh, of chapter 14. <clears throat> they began their ministry, and they went to Iconia, Lister, and Derby. <clears throat> in that time, they preached the gospel, they planted churches, they made disciples, developed leaders, and they commended them to the grace of God, and they transitioned out. Paul and Barnabas have a fallout in the end of chapter 15 after the Jerusalem Council. But they didn't realize that their ministry together was over in verse 25. In other words, they were trying to take something forward that God had already ended. That's, that's for free. <laughs> um, but then in chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, it's interesting that Paul returns to Iconium, Lister, and Derby, and he sees a young man. When he sees this young man, actually the elders <clears throat> brought um, Timothy to Paul and, 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 and they said, you need to meet Shorty. 
Shorty, the boy got skills in the book. Boom. <laughs> they began chopping it up. Paul is rocked by his understanding of Torah, Navihim, and Ketuvim, or Tanakh, or AKA the Old Testament, and he's rocked by his understanding of Scripture. Young Buck, maybe late teens, early 20s, crushing in the book. He said, Shorty rolling with me. Now, what happened is, is he, why did he call him his son? Number one, he led him to Christ. Please hear this. Number two, he discipled him. Now, let's get off Paul and let's get on Timothy. Why is he a son? Because he had the spiritual disposition to be teachable. In our milieu of, of, um, of, of know-it-all-isms, generationally, help me today, uh, um, um, uh, you, have to, you have to stop thinking you know everything. In other words, you can't get discipleship on your own terms. Mm, 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 mm. One of my spiritual children was getting frustrated because they were getting bombarded by so many people asking them to disciple them. So they were trying to meet this person this day, this person this day, this person that day. I said, shorty, that, you're killing yourself. They said, what you mean? They're only available these days. I was like, well, they don't get discipled. <laughs> it's like, what you mean? I said, listen, if they want to get discipled, they need to build themselves around your schedule versus trying to get you to build themselves around. Listen, I, I don't build my life around anyone's convenience to want to get invested in. If you, if you want to get invested in, you have to reconfigure your life in a way that puts it in a position to be invested in. I am not coming after you. That was Jesus' job. And so, so, a, so, a, so a spiritual child is a person, spiritual child is, is a person that's hungry. Yes. It's hungry. Yes. They want discipleship and they want to be invested in. A lot of people say they want to be discipled, but they don't want to submit. A lot of people say they want to be invested in, uh -uh, and they want to be, but, but they don't want to rig their lives around being listening. If you're talking more than the person that knows more, you don't need help. <laughs> person came to me talking, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, I don't know why I'm here. Because the purpose of this conference, listen, I was sitting with um, one of my mentors, and I shut my mouth. Listen, any of my mentors, I sit beside, what I look like, and I ain't going to name y'all because y'all be knowing them, but I, listen, I, 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 I shut, I, listen, dude been in ministry 50 years, what, I, what I'm going to teach him? I got more degrees than him, but he has more life than me. And that means, but listen, uh, oh, help me God, um, a spiritual child is a servant of their spiritual parent. Because they're serving you. You see Timothy throughout taking instructions from Paul. You'll see later in the latter part of chapter 4 of 1 of, of Timothy at the end where they can take instructions. I'm not talking about being someone's hyper armor bearer. 
But what I am saying is you need to put in your life, if there's going to be order in the church, what does this have to do with order? Every, you can't even come into the kingdom unless you have humility and willingness to be under spiritual development so that you can grow. There can be no order without soul humility. <laughs> so why did he call them his true son? Because there were a lot of people that wanted to be spiritual children. But they didn't want to make the concessions that was needed to build their life around what it meant to be a spiritual child. So he said, there's a lot of them out there, but you're a true one. Why? What made him a true one? He caught it too. Nobody wants to spend in it a bunch of time with somebody that don't get nothing. What do I mean? What do I mean? You need to get it, and you need to grow, and you need to have personal grind. Because, because, listen, disciple-making isn't looking for someone who is your sanctified Dara Malaji. Okay, y'all looked at me funny. <laughs> In other words, I mean, <laughs> um, <laughs> means that they're your spiritual guru. And you go to them as your mediator between you and God. Yes. And that, because that's, disciple-making that's helpful is you get it and run with it. And then you go get it for yourself after you've been tooled with it. That's why he's called a true son. How do I call him a true son? <laughs> because the next section of verses is going to let us know the beauty of why he's a true son. He can be entrusted with stuff. See, I, I want to spend time with people I can entrust stuff with. I, I don't want to spend some time with people where they need me all the time. I, I, I need needs me for a season, invest in you for a season, and now it's time for me to be your, 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 like on your consult. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm by myself. Uh, and so, when we, so when we look at this idea of spiritual children, everyone in the church is supposed to be of a church in some degree and fashion, a spiritual child of that particular church, no matter what your age is. Right. And so Timothy is interesting here that he's left there. And, and, and I can build on this concept for the rest of my time, but I got to go to the next point. If you're going to um, have clear spiritual direction, first off, you have to have clear guidance. Um, next, you have to have clear instructions. <laughs> you have to have clear instructions. This is the part where I love, where, where you get to get more. Let me just give you this for free real quick. I like it when the church gets more than just a word for their life. You need a word that's a little broader than just getting you through the week. You need to get trained in righteousness. So this point is beautiful right here because um, I don't really expect many amens today. But, but look at verse 3. He said, as I urged you, when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, this is unbelievable, so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine. Now, let, let me explain something to you. Timothy is very young. He's young. He's probably no older than 35. There were, in Ephesus was the most theologically monstrositous church in the New Testament. Paul is about to die on his way to Jerusalem, I mean, on his way to Rome to get killed by Caesar. 
On his trip, he's discipled this guy great enough, and Timothy was a recipient of the discipleship weighty enough that as they were going through Macedonia, there was a stop. When they stopped, Paul saw some issues. And as much as Paul wanted Timothy with him, this is great, he said, I want you to stay there. Are you trustworthy to be left anywhere? I mean, can you imagine this young pastor being dropped in a place he never lived? He doesn't know them well. And Paul says, I want you to borrow my authority. And what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to go in with guns blazing. You're not going in there to build relationships to be nice and to be liked. You're going in, this is all I want you there for, Timothy. This is helpful for us. I want you to instruct certain people to stop teaching foolishness. So I know he didn't get no amens the first Sunday he preached. (laughs) So can you imagine him being left there in Crete? I mean, in... uh, in Ephesus to instruct certain leaders to not teach what they were teaching, unsound doctrine. This is, this is so important. So, so much here. <laughs> so before Paul, Paul had a great relationship with the book of, with the uh, church of Ephesus in Acts. <laughs> in Acts 20, he wept as he left. <laughs> but one of the things that he told them is, he says, nah, 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 he says I, 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 first off, I taught you everything. Like, I left no no stone doctrinally unturned. Oh, man, wish I had time to just talk about that. But what's beautiful is Paul said after that, he says, but let me tell you something. The Spirit of the Lord has shown you. This one, you got good prophets. This one, prophecy is dope. Because <laughs> this doesn't just tell you stuff to make you feel good. It warns you against stuff. So he tells him, he says, there are, there are going to be, as soon as I leave, there are going to be ravenous wolves. They're not going to spare the flock. As a matter of fact, they're not going to come from the outside. Some of you sitting in front of me are going to be the church's worst problem. And then prophecy came to pass. Later on, we're going to see that they fell off and they, they, they became theologically astute in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And they had to be called back to their first love because they took this teaching to access. I don't have time for that now. Are y'all trekking with me? And so with this in mind, (laughs) this this is so important in relation to what we're called to do as it remains and what our desire is to be what God has called us to be. But in instructing certain people not to teach certain doctrines, my, my pastor always told me, he said, Eric... It's easier to exalt, it's harder to remove. It's easy to put someone in position, but when they become a problem, it's harder to remove them. So Timothy has to do the hard work of going into this church and telling certain people they shouldn't be making disciples. 
How do you tell a person as a younger person to an older person that they're unqualified to invest in people's lives? <laughs> That's what Timothy has to do. And as he begins to do that, we recognize a bunch of things, family. We recognize a bunch of things. Is he talking about the leadership, not merely just people in the church? But churches, that's why churches need theologically stout elders to protect and guide the church. But not only that, some of the greatest challenges to the church come from within the church. That's what he's letting us know, family, is that some of our greatest challenges come from within the church. Why? Because some of the most dangerous things have relationships with people. Let me explain that. See, sometimes... What happens is, is what the enemy likes to do, what the enemy likes to do is he likes to put people relationally with other people and sow falseness into them. And then when it's time to challenge that falseness, it's hard to challenge it because people like them. And so you're looking crazy challenging them because people like them, but you're trying to shepherd. There ain't nothing like that going on now, but we've had it before where you've had to literally deal with the challenge, but then you have to deal with the fallout of the people that are in love with the person that you're challenging. And then you, as a shepherd, you don't just get to remove the stuff. You got to stay there and deal with all the pandemic damage of helping shepherd the people that got hurt by what you did, even though you didn't hurt them for real because they didn't realize that the person that you were getting out of the way was really the person that was hurting them. <laughs> see, that, see, I just gave you a curtain in the pastoring. And people talk about you and you have, and you have to sit on it. See, let me tell you what you get to do. You get to write a Facebook post about me and look spiritual. If I respond, I look immature. So guess what I have to do as a leader? I have to shut my mouth and pray for you. I have, to, I have to shut my mouth and say, you know what? I want their heart. I, instead of being right, I know I could slay them. I know I could publicly, like, annihilate your entire city. Like, I know all your background. I could just wreck you. But I love you enough because the gospel is powerful enough. It's, it's not about destroying you. I want to build you up. <laughs> so being a leader and there being order in the church starts with leadership. You can't respond to everything. Can't respond to everything. Yes, that's the application for you. Don't give platform to foolishness. Sometimes your response gives platform when nobody was looking at it in the first place. But because we sometimes get insecure, we think everybody's looking at it. That was good teaching. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Um, <clears throat> what are some false, what are the top false doctrines in our day that can pervade the church? Number one, the prosperity gospel. That thing dangerous than a mug. Now, everybody doesn't believe in the prosperity gospel, but everybody believes in the prosperity gospel. Now, if I got up here and started saying, I'm, I name over your life, you're going to, I decree, like, first off, nowhere in the Bible does anybody decree anything and declare. That's God's job. Okay? So I decree over your life. No, no. Right? But it feels good. 
because it feels like you're powerful and that God is going to respond to it. And it makes you feel good because they're telling you what you're freshly dreaming about. Yeah. Then there's the other prosperity gospel where you don't believe in that prosperity gospel, but you believe God owes you. <laughs> that's heart prosperity gospel. See, that's a false God. Because I've gone through something hard, God owes me exaltation. Because I serve, God owes me. That's, pro- that's, that's a prosperity heart. <laughs> God doesn't owe you anything. If Jesus' death is enough for him to never owe you anything ever again. But that doesn't mean we don't expect God to... Now, I'm expecting all kinds of stuff out of God. I got a laundry list of expectations that I want, but, 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 but there's a difference. I, but I'm, I don't feel like I'm entitled to that list to be, I want to be kept. Well, no, I do. Let me be honest. I wrestle with entitlement with God. <laughs> That's a false gospel. That's a false doctrine. And so I feel like I'm entitled when God hurts me deeply to exalt me greatly. <laughs> See, this is back. This is, this is diary talk. Journal talk. That's a false doctrine. But what can happen is, is when you believe those things in your heart, it pervades what you teach. And so you have to ask God for stuff with humility. That's how you downgrade the prosperity gospel in your heart. <laughs> Next. Next one. Oh, God. The centrality of self-love. That's a false doctrine in the church. You know, we, they're all real quiet right now. Self-love is overrated. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, most people, I've heard worldly counselors say, the answer to your problems is you got to love yourself. We all love ourselves. That hasn't worked yet. You love yourself in so many ways that's intricate. When have you love yourself? The question is, not do you love yourself, but do you love Jesus? Now, that sounds real simple. But loving Jesus in God's economy looks like self-denial. It's a false doctrine. I, I, can, I can stay on that all day. The last false doctrine... It's in the church that needs tearing down. It's syncretism. Um, so what is syncretism? Are y'all tracking with me today? I'm just pontificating a little bit on the text. Um, <clears throat> syncretism is Jesus and. It's the Jesus and disposition. Um, I, 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 was, I was asking a friend about someone we knew. And they say, oh, man, yeah, yeah, that person. I said, are they a believer still? They said, yeah. But I said, what do you mean? Why did you say yeah like that? They said, well, they're into sage and crystals. And I was like, what they, I don't know how they wrap their mind around that and Jesus. They don't. They believe that they're not mutually exclusive but deeply compatible, that they need both. In other words, Jesus doesn't demand the excavation of ancestor worship. I just bring ancestor worship under Jesus Christ. But so many of us are syncretists too. That's an extreme form of syncretism. 
we believe we can be one way in, on one day of the week, and the rest of the week we can live another way. Syncretism. I got to move. I got to go to this last point. I got to go to this last point. So he goes in to deal with false doctrine. But he exhorts him <clears throat> about something in particular. He wants him, last but not least, to have clear motives. He wants him to have clear motives. Y'all still in the room? Yeah. Clear motives. Number four. Check it out. Verse four, he says, he said, or oh, pay attention to myths and endless genealogies that promote empty speculations rather than God's plan which operates by faith. Let me say that again. You don't want them paying attention to myths and endless genealogies that promote empty speculations rather than God's plan. Let's stop. Um, myth here is, of course, fiction, and genealogy is the study of genealogy. Now, somebody says, what in the world does this have to do with anything? I think this is beautiful that God prophetically put this here because we're in a day where black identity is a challenge. Because black identity is a challenge, we don't believe Jesus has an answer for it. What is, why is black identity a challenge? Because of what's happened during slavery, Jim Crow and black codes, there has been an excavation of black identity, if you will. Now, in light of that, though, is instead of proper searching for the glory of God, there are many who have fought white supremacy with black ethnocentricity. I'll clap right there. See, white supremacy means that whiteness is above everything. Ethno, black ethnocentricity or Afrocentricity believes that blackness and being African is at the center of everything. And so the church, whether this is your week's amen or not, have to deal with this. We have to deal with this because we're in the midst of people. One minute we're Moors. Next minute we're Hebrews. Next minute we're Kemet. Next minute we're Nubians. Next minute we're the tribe of Shabazz. Next minute we're Aboriginals. Next minute we're gods and goddesses. You understand what I'm saying? I'm my, I'm my ancestor's greatest dream. Come on now. <laughs> Be careful with what you put on your t-shirt. Why is this all important? Because what are some myths? Karma. Even hip-hop has gotten back to talking spiritual. Karma, natural spirituality, reincarnation, Panatheism, pantheism, God is everything. Y'all looking at me crazy, but all this stuff is out there, and it's trying to grasp for you. And if you're not trained as the church to be equipped to understand it when you see it, you'll be drawn off and taken away in every wind of doctrine. So they promote, he says, empty speculations. That's what he says. In other words, in other words, in other words, he, he, in other words, empty speculation means never coming to a conclusion on anything. Just talking about it. 
all the time. I can tell you that the argument of who we have, who we are, has changed a thousand times. First, we was the original N-word. Then we went from that to colored. Then we went from that to Negro. Then we went from Negro to, uh, uh, to black. Then we went from black to African-American. We don't know. We just all, we just got all over again, right? Then the conscious community on their side, they were Christianity is a white man's religion. Christianity uh, was beaten in the slaves. Christianity is a copy of comedic religion. Christianity is a copy of Mithra. Christianity copied Epic of Gamilgamesh. Uh, Christianity is a copy of Atrahasis. Uh, all of the stories were pagan from the Mediterranean. Christianity and the Bible is misogynistic. Jesus, it just go on and on and on and on and on because when people don't want to love Jesus, when people don't want to become Christians, when people want to use stuff to put on their stuff, what they'll do is is they, they, when, you, when you blow down their argument against the faith, they'll create another one because they don't want to believe in the first place. Now, does the church have some stuff to own? Yes. Guess what? That's why you need order in the church. This is why I'm doing this series. reason why I'm doing this series is to train you to be more than a person that comes to church every week to get through the week. That's a weak reason for gathering with the saints. That's a weak reason. If that's it, you got to grow out of that. You got to grow out of get me through the week. No, you get your own relationship with God and fellowship with him and you walk with him through the week on your own. My job is not to get you through the week. I'm not that strong. How in the world can I get you through a week? How dare that be placed on one person that's a human being that's on earth? You didn't get saved to come to church to get through a week. You got saved to walk with God every single day, every single hour. See, you, you have to be trained in your faith. Being great is a drug. Um, I was looking at a bunch of Kobe Bryant stuff this week, and I've just been fascinated with him, um, fascinated with his legacy. Um, would have never thought his, his death would have impacted so many people the way it has. Um, and this week, um, you know, I, I listened to one of his interviews, and he said young people always telling him what they want to do with basketball and how great they want to be. And he said, stop trying to be great and fall in love with the game. He said, if you fall in love with the game, everything else will fall into place. I heard the Holy Ghost right there in the middle of that interview that if you just fall in love with Jesus, your attempt at being great will have to do with his greatness, with his might, with his power. So I'm just trying to tell you, family of God, one of the other things he said, and I'm done. He said he got he focused himself on learning his craft. Let me tell you my greatest problem with Christians. 
We don't know our craft. We don't know our craft. It's time for you. And I know what the levels of commitment are and all of the stats, but I never preach in a way where I'm preaching to the person who's going to be committed to it. You got to learn your craft, family. Open your, your Bible. Open your Bible. Study your Bible. And grow in your God. Father God, we thank you um, for your grace and mercy and kindness that knows no end. Father God, um, I, we, um, need to be driven, be driven by you. Um, many and any in the room maybe waiting for someone to take them deeper. God, I pray that you would. Maybe you're here today and you've never. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.